So we're in our series, Counterattack, Know Your Enemy, and this is part two. So as I was studying, a couple of things came to mind. The first thing, go ahead and put that first statement up, if you would, Nate. Satan and his forces have a plan to terrorize your soul. I want you to think about this. Terrorize your soul to render you impotent as a believer. So if you're already a believer, he wants you to have zero power, zero credibility in the world. He wants to make you worthless to the cause of Christ and, he, and to make your life one of misery and spiritual defeat. See, I told you a long time ago, we're going to talk about this today, a long time ago that the whole thing between Satan and God is for glory. And if you read the scripture, everything in scripture is about the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Every story, every book of the Bible is about the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. So the enemy of God wants to render you ineffective and we're going to talk about him today. And I want you to understand the importance of this because I read this statement. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were, if if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. It is because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we go down before him and we fall before his attacks. Jesus referenced Satan 25 times. Jesus himself. And then he personally encountered the devil in Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, when he was led out by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. And so if you don't believe in a real devil and demons, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, because Jesus had a lot to say about him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to figure out where this spiritual warfare even came from in the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, It says this, then God said, let us, okay, let's stop right there. God's not talking to the angels. He's not talking to anything else. He's talking to God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, the Trinity is standing there. And he says, let us, now you need to understand the first six days, God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created the stars. He's created uh, land and water separated those two. He's put fish in the water. He's put birds in the air. And on the sixth day, God says, we're going to do something different. All the other times he just speaks and something is created. But on the sixth day, they come in collaboration. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. He says, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness no other thing that was created has that statement attached to us let us make mankind in our image in our likeness and here's the deal so that they may rule now I put have dominion I want you to say have dominion That's important. We're going to come back to that in just a second. What it means is there's a kingdom of earth and God created humans to have dominion over that kingdom He says, have dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, a lot of people have this mistaken idea that there's a battle going on between God and Satan. Let me be very clear. There is no battle going on between God and Satan. That would not be a battle at all. That would be like saying Preacher D is going to fight the Incredible Hulk. How long would that last? Okay, the heavyweight champion of the world. I jump into the boxing ring or MMA, whatever. I jump in. How long do you think Preacher D is going to last against them? It reminds me of that scene in Avengers when Loki is saying, I'm a god, and, and the Hulk picks him up and just slams him back and forth. That's what it's like. There's no battle between God and Satan. That battle wouldn't last long. That's not even a fight. So here's what the deal. The devil wanted to be like God, but, but he's a created being. So when he wants to be like God, it would be like him saying to the all-powerful creator, I'm going to be like you. 
God says that's not going to happen. So what he did was he, incre- he created inferior creatures to the spiritual world. You and me, and I hate to tell you this, but we're inferior to angels and demons. We're flesh and blood. We're not even competition with Satan and his demons unless we're under the authority of God who can sling the devil around as he sees fit. And God did this so he could show that even an inferior creature, you and me, can win when, we, when he or she operates under God's authority, God's rules, God's kingdom. Here's how Tony Evans says it. You and I were cast in a cosmic conflict to manifest God's rule in history. Here it is. For the advancement of his kingdom and the reflection of his glory. It's never about you. It's never about me. It's always about his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. And one way God does this, one way it's done, is through the domain covenant. A dominion covenant. I had you say have dominion. God made a dominion covenant with human beings. The dominion covenant is your ability, my ability, and our commission to rule through decisions that are made in alignment with God's sovereign rule. So you and I were created to rule the earth. But there's a problem. We're going to get to it. Let's back up before the earth was even created, and let's see where Satan came from. If you know anything about Satan, you know that he wanted to be like God, and that's when God says, you got to go. Amazingly, this is what blows my mind. I said this to my prayer group the other night blows my mind. Not only did Satan say, I don't need you, God. He convinced one third of the angels that they didn't need God either. If he is that persuasive, that manipulative, you and I have no business getting in a discussion with him, an argument with him. Remember I told you about the archangel Michael in Jude 9? He said, the Lord rebuke you. The archangel is the equal of Satan and he wouldn't argue with him. So you and I do not need to argue with him. We need to be under authority and we say, the Lord rebuke you. Now, we don't even need to have a conversation with Satan. Now, let's, let's see where he came from. Before he was called Satan, his name was Lucifer. Now, Lucifer is the Latin translation of this Hebrew word, Hallel, H-E-L-E-L. The Hebrew word wasn't a proper name. It just meant morning star. It's like a descriptive term of who he is. So he's the morning star. He's the son of the dawn. And so when it was translated into Latin, the Bible was, we got Lucifer and they put a capital L and made it a proper name. It just, Lucifer just means morning star or son of the dawn. Let's hear what Lucifer or Hillel was like. Here's what God said he was like in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read this whole passage. God says, you were the seal of perfection. Now, you need to understand this. When God's talking here, if you go and you read the whole chapter of Ezekiel, it starts off, there's always a dual meaning. It starts off with, um, with a human person, but then as you get down to verse 12, you realize that it very quickly changed to something that's not of this world, that's not flesh and blood. Same thing in Isaiah when we get there. It starts off with a human king, the king of Babylon there. This one's the king of Tyre. But in, in Isaiah, it starts off with a human king, but all of a sudden you get down the verses 12 and 13, and it changes to someone who's otherworldly. We are at the otherworldly part in Ezekiel chapter 28. God says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You didn't know, I'm willing to bet, that there was a Garden of Eden in heaven before there was ever a Garden of Eden on earth. And I've told you this, that everything in the physical realm is a reflection of something in the spiritual realm. So God says, you were perfect and you were in the, the, the Eden, the Garden of God. Now listen to this, every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise and beryl, nine stones, and again... 
the high priest, his vest had these same nine stones on it. Why? Because everything in the physical realm is a representation of something that's already happened in the spiritual realm. So Satan, Lucifer, had some high priestly role in the heavenlies. And what does a priest do? A priest helps the the people see God. So Satan's job was to help people worship the living God. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. This is how we know we're not talking about a human. A cherub is an angelic being, and he was the top of the angelic beings. You were a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God and expelled you, guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Here it is. Here's the basic problem. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Satan had everything. Lucifer had it all. He was in charge of the angelic beings worshiping God. But that wasn't enough. He was like the, the, the queen in the fairy tale, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most beautiful of them all? And then Lucifer said, it's me. I'm the one. So mirror, mirror on the wall was the, great, was the start of the great demonic fall. He wanted to be like God. And so because he wanted to be like God, he lost his perfection. He lost his place. He lost his position in the garden of God and was cast to earth. And if you remember at the beginning, the earth was formless and void. And God said, that's your kingdom now. Until he created humans. And he said, now humans are going to take over. See, the battle didn't last long. God said, you're gone. You're out. No longer will you be here. So here, what's the problem? We're going to look at Isaiah to figure out what he said. Five I will statements that he tried to be God. First one is, I will ascend to heaven. He wanted to take over heaven. There was a mutiny in heaven before there was ever a mutiny on earth. Second, I will state, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Stars in the Bible represent angels. Here's the bizarre thing. He was already in charge of all the angels, but he didn't want to lead the angels to worship God. He wanted the angels to worship him. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. The Mount of Assembly is the center of God's authority and rule. It's where he makes all the decisions. And Satan said, that's where I want to be. I want to be on God's throne. Next, he said, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Clouds in the Bible are associated with the glory of God. And he wanted the glory of God for himself. He wanted to be worshipped. He still wants to be worshipped. And it's why he cannot hang out in our worship services when we truly worship the real God. Because we're given to God what he so desperately wants for himself. But he can come into a worship service when we're distracted. When the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts are not centered on God. He loves to distract people. He loves to cause disunity. He loves to do those things. So if our church service is in chaos, the Holy Spirit leaves the room and the unholy spirit takes over. That's why we try to get you to worship, to focus on the one who is above all things because Satan cannot work in the midst of that. He will not stand for it because that's what he wants for himself. And then the last I will statement is, I will make myself like the most high. He cannot become God, so he's an imitator. 
The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. He's, he's the prince of darkness, but he's an imitator. I will make myself like God. And this is the statement of a fool because he's a created being. And he's saying to the all-powerful creator, I'm going to be like you. <laughs> That's comical to me. I'd be like you go on a picnic. Let me say this first. Years ago, years ago, I don't even remember. I was, I was just in youth ministry, so it was back in the early Late ladies, early 90s, and the New Age movement came around, and the New Age movement said, you can be a god. And Shirley MacLaine was a high priestess for this, and she said, all you have to do is go up to the highest mountain and yell out, I am God, I am God, and you'll become a god. And somebody said, that's like an ant at a picnic going out, hey, John Golander, I am God. What is John going to do? Smash. Puny god, that's what. Hulk says to Loki, I am God. That's what it was like when Satan said, I'll be like the most high. God said, no, you won't. Get out. You're gone. You see, the answer to all of this stuff, this I will pride stuff is I will bow down and worship the true king. For Satan to be like God would mean there's two gods and God has something to say about that. Isaiah 43, 10. God is speaking. He says, before me, no God. And notice it's a lowercase g because there's only one capital G. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there ever, ever be one after me. Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and last. Apart from me, there is no God. And he says, capital G, there's one. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. He repeats it. What do you think God's point is in these verses? How many gods are there? One. Because there's only one God, and because Jesus Christ is God, that's why he can say in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's not many ways to God, and people have been saying there's many ways. See, if Satan is the imitator, he'll use anything, even religion, to try to get your eyes off the one true God, because he knows all those other religions lead to hell. He just needs to distract you and get you on the wrong road, and you'll wind up in hell. So we, you need to know, when we're talking about your rebellion or Satan's rebellion, you need to know something about the one true God. Wherever God is not allowed to rule, he overrules. Satan raised himself up against God. God slammed him to the ground. Satan learned that although he could control his decisions, he could not control the consequences. And you and I need to learn that too. You may go out and do your thing, but after you've done your thing, God's going to take over. While he gives you freedom in your choices, God always, always controls the consequences. And I want to show you the final consequence of Satan rebelling against God. It's in Revelation 20.10, almost to the end of the whole Bible. God says this, and the devil who deceived them, that's what he does, he deceives was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. We call it the lake of fire. We call it hell. Where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not only is Satan thrown into the lake of fire, hell, all the people who bowed down to him and adopted him as their God, lowercase g, will be there with him. Hell wasn't created for human beings. Hell was created for Satan and the one-third of angels that rebelled against God and left heaven. But if you reject God in this lifetime, you choose Satan as God. And by the way, just putting it off, that's saying you don't want God. If you choose the God of this world, lowercase g, when you die, you will spend eternity with him. And Jesus just said, there will be, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
Many people are going to go there because Satan is the God they choose. And you need to know whatever Satan takes over becomes a garbage dump, including our lives. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they yielded to Satan. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And at that moment, the earth became a weed-filled wilderness. And right here, right here, all right, is the connection between rebellion, Satan's rebellion, and spiritual warfare. The lesser creature was mankind, flesh and blood. How many of you are flesh and blood? We keep asking this question because Ephesians chapter 6 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're the lesser creatures. There's a greater battle going on. We're fighting against the evil forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. We're flesh and blood. So God said to Satan, I can take a creature of less beauty because Satan was perfect. Lucifer was perfect. He's not anymore. He tries to appear that way. I'm going to take a creature of less beauty, less power, less ability than you, Lucifer, but who trusts me as God, and I'll do more with this weaker creature that you can do in all your power and glory. And the enemy of God was furious. So he wants to destroy. He can't hurt God, so what does he do? He goes after God's children. Someone can't hurt you, what do they do? They go after your children. (laughs) So one of my favorite psalms is Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. And here's what David said in in that psalm. He's looking up at the heavens. I don't know if you've ever done this. I did this with my youth groups. We'd go out, you know, we'd have a bonfire or whatever, and, and I'd just have them lay down and look at the stars because of this. This psalm, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth should somehow know my name, should somehow know the numbers of the hairs on my head? That's just always funny to me. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels. This, This infuriates Satan. And crown them with glory and honor. And look at this. This is what really ticks him off. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. And this explains why the serpent came to Eve and tempted her to doubt God. Satan was kicked out of heaven. He tried to take over heaven. He couldn't. So the next best thing for Satan is earth, and he wanted to rule earth. And Adam and Eve gave him earth when they chose to sin. And guess what God is in the process of doing person by person, over the last 2,000 years, taking back the planet one person at a time, when a human being, a lesser creature, bows down and says, there is one God. I am filled with sin, and I am going to hell unless he forgives my sin and leads my life. So here's God's plan. It's always been God's plan since before anything was created to display his power and glory to angels of heaven and to Satan and the demons of hell. And he does it when we bow, when we say, I will bow down and worship the one true king. God created us to rule the earth. Satan came to Adam and Eve to take over the earth. And this is the major reason why Jesus Christ, God's son, had to come to earth as a man to take back the planet from the evil one. Now, when Satan showed up to tempt Eve, he didn't say, Eve, I'm here to tempt you. He just wanted to have a discussion, just a theological discussion, not about sin, but, but about God, who God is. He wanted to talk to her, and, and, and there's no harm in talking to someone about God, right? So he starts out with this in Genesis 1, 3, 1b. B just means the second half of the verse. Satan says, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? He's only asking for clarification. He seems to say, I just want to understand 
what's God up to? What's his point? What's he trying to get across? He doesn't tell you this. His real purpose, go ahead, that next slide, is to damn your soul to hell. He doesn't come up and say, I want to damn you to hell. I want to drag you kicking and screaming to hell. He doesn't say that because you're too smart to fall for that. I just want to understand what God's trying to get across. Just give me some clarification. And out of this harmless, go to the next slide, harmless, I, I, I highlighted it, out of this harmless discussion, you find good reasons or reasons that sound good for disobeying God. How does Eve respond? Did God really say? Here's what she says. God told us you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. God didn't say anything about touching it. Some people think they have to defend God by becoming stricter than God. You know any religious people like that? (laughs) They know God's commands, but they somehow think they're holier if they go beyond those commands and add layers and layers and layers of commands. Doesn't even matter because the tempter's already succeeded because he's, he's gotten... Eve's attention focused on the one thing God had forbidden. So here's the enemy strategy in your life. Focus your attention on what you don't have. Folks are like that today. People turn their backs on all the blessings, all the good in their lives. They throw it all away for a single sin. All of this good, I'm not going to pay attention to that, God. I'm going to get mad at you because this one thing over here I do not have. And Satan's won. They become obsessed with the thing they can't have, and they give in to sin. And we've said this over and over, whatever captures your attention, I mean, come on, we're not that smart. We're like a cat, you know, when you do the little, when you do the laser, what does that cat do? Yeah, thank you. It goes all over the place chasing that laser. You do the same thing when you focus on the one thing you cannot have and you look just as foolish as the cat. Oh, let's make it jump. And he says, let's make them jump. Let's make them chase this. Let's make them look foolish as I drag them kicking and screaming, screaming to hell. So he gets you to focus your attention on one thing you can't have. The second part of his strategy is he gets you to question God's word. Either Eve didn't know God's word well or she just didn't want to remember it. But do you see the difference when Jesus was tempted? He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. Every time he was tempted, he said, it is written in the last one. The last one, Satan says, bow down to me. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. Jesus knew God's word and he was delivered by temptation. That's why the Bible says this. He was tempted in all things just as we are yet without sin. He overcame temptation through the word of God. But Eve was a different story. When she responds to Satan, she says, we can't touch it or we'll die. Satan laughs out loud. Surely you don't believe that over a piece of fruit? No way God kills you for a lousy piece of fruit. Don't you think that's a bit of an over-exaggeration? Come on, use your brain. God put all this stuff here for you to enjoy. Enjoy. God won't be upset if you enjoy something that he created. It's not your fault you have these urges. God made you this way. After all, God can't be serious. You can't be serious. God doesn't really mean that. For thousands of years, Satan has used the same strategy. Did God really say don't get drunk? Did God really say he hates divorce? Did God really say don't have sex outside of marriage? Don't gossip? Don't show favoritism? Did God really say you're supposed to give some of your money to the church? Did God really say you're supposed to go to church? He didn't mean that. He can't possibly mean that. And I can't tell you how many theological discussions I've heard over why people don't give to the church or why people don't go to the church. And out of a harmless discussion, 
They come up with reasons, good reasons, or at least reasons that sound good for why they don't do what God clearly tells us to do. Does God mean it when he says, do not be deceived? God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Does God mean it when he says, the mind of the sinful man is death? Does God mean it when he says, the Lord will judge his people? Does God really mean it when he tells us that sin brings punishment? Do you know why God is so serious about sin? Because he's incredibly in love with you and he knows that sin will destroy you. So he doesn't want you to give in to sin. And you need to know that the Holy Spirit will never, ever lead you to do something that contradicts the word of God. Ever. Now his third strategy is he attacks God's character, which lies behind his word. Lucifer says, God knows that when you eat fruit, Eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God wants to ruin your fun. So Satan slanders the goodness of God. We sing about the goodness of God all the time. He slanders it. He says, God's jealous, wants to hold you back from your destiny. A good God would never keep anything from you, Eve. And when she focused on that fruit, she began to doubt God's goodness. How could a good God deny me pleasure? It's just a piece of fruit. Satan says, come on, Eve, you can be like God. You can control your own destiny. God wants to keep you on a leash and spoil your fun. He knows that when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open. You will be like him. No one one can tell you what to do, Eve. He wants to poison your mind because once he poisons the well of your mind, the whole, all the water is poisoned. If you question God's word because you doubt God's goodness, Satan's already won. You're going to give in. Because how many times has something bad happened to you and you go, why, why, God? Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So when we have trouble, God, why do we have trouble? Well, my son said, you're going to have trouble, but, but take heart because he's overcome the world. God, you can't be good if this stuff is happening to me. We think God's against us. Or we become so messed up that even when things are going good, you're like, it's just a matter of time. Because God doesn't care. It's like when people say, don't pray for patience because God will mess you up. Do you really think God is a, a sadistic? God's sitting up there just waiting to zap you? Oh, yes. If you believe that God doesn't want you to have an abundant life, the enemy's already won. He's already convinced you that God's not good, and so you're going to turn your back on God. His work is complete in that situation. Eve's mind began to doubt God. She listened to Satan's lies, and at at this moment she chose to sin. Then she turned and handed the fruit to her husband who was there, and he was was passive. He didn't step forward and say, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now notice that once he got her mind, all he had to do was just step back. Once he got her to take her eyes off of God and put it on the fruit, all he had to do was step back and just let her mind take over because once he gets your attention... Once it gets in your head, it's just a matter of time till you're going to sin. When you take your God out of your thoughts and, and allow temptation in, when you question God's word, when you question God's goodness, your senses are going to take over and your urges will become almost unbearable because you're focusing on them. Eve saw the fruit was beautiful. It was pleasing to the eye that the fruit was good to eat. It was pleasing to the taste that it would make her wise. That's the boastful pride of life. She took it and ate it. Satan didn't make her do it. She chose. He just planted the seed of doubt and stood back and allowed that seed to take root, and he does the same thing to you. Now, the last thing 
the last part of his strategy is he lies about the consequences of sin. You can sin and still have a great life. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit, they, they ate. The Bible says their eyes were opened, but it wasn't good stuff they saw. They realized they were naked. They didn't know they were naked before. And when they saw their nakedness, they felt shame, and they headed for the trees. Sin isolates you from other people, always isolates you from other people. Sin isolates you from church people, from people who love you, from people who are wiser than you. Sin isolates you from people, but even more importantly, sin isolates you from God, the only one who has the power to heal you, to free you, and to give you the abundant life. The devil wants you as far from God and other believers as possible. When he comes, he doesn't show you the chains that are going to bind you. He doesn't offer a contract that says, I openly reject God and his son. He's too smart for that because you're too smart for that. He disguises it all. He offers us pleasure, money, popularity, freedom, joy, whatever it is that you are fixated on, he offers that to you. And he lies about what he's trying to do, which is damn your soul to hell. He says, I'm going to give you all the desires of your heart. God's just to too narrow-minded, and we fall for it every time. And the result is spiritual depression, spiritual bondage, a complete lack of spiritual discernment, a lack of any ability to meet the needs of others. Because when you're like that, your prayer life suffers. You try to read the Word of God, and it's just, it's just words on a page. All he has to do, the Bible says that he blinds the mind of non-believers, but I believe he also pollutes the mind of believers. He doesn't have the power to do that. You have to grant him the power. Come on, move in, Satan. Get in my head. It just seems foolish to me. So some of you today... The reason you're struggling so much is because you're not a child of God. You've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and lead your life, so you do not have spiritual power. You don't have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You don't have the authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You don't have that because you, you're not a child of God. But there's more people here who are children of God that they've been distracted, they've been deceived and you have zero power because you're living the life of sin. We're going to talk about the three areas over the next few weeks, the three areas that Satan hits us the most with bluebell in our freezers. And we're going to show you how to get free from bluebell. I've been free from bluebell for I don't even know how long now. And I told the Lord, I ain't eating bluebell as long as we're in this series. So, By the way, if you have any empty bluebell cartons, don't bring me a full one. Tempter. If you have any empty ones, I really do. If you have an empty bluebell or any, any ice cream, well, it's not really ice cream, it's not bluebell, but we'll, we'll give you some grace. I do need those for sermon illustrations in the weeks ahead. Let's pray together. Father, I can't believe that uh, a third of the angels bought into the lie of your enemy, that they didn't need you. 
So in an instant, Lucifer became Satan, the adversary. And a third of the angels were kicked out with him. And and now they're mad and they want to make sure as many of us go to hell as possible. Wake us up, Lord. That the real problem is not COVID or whatever other disease comes down the pike. The real problem is eternity and, and we need to get right with you. We need to tell others about you. So God, we just pray that you... Give us wisdom and you give us discernment and you fan into flame the gift of God that is in every one of your children so that we'll make a difference now and for eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.